Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pacers Pod. How's it going? Hopefully good. I'm doing good. Um, 2022-2023 Pacers season is in the books. I'm uh, recording April 17th, 2023. The first round of the NBA playoffs just started. Um, so every te- every matchup's played one game. Um, you know, you definitely do wish, like I'm excited to see the Pacers back in the playoffs. Hopefully that's next year. Um, sure, I'll get into like reasons why um, in this episode and in future ones between now and next year's season. But this past season, you know, how was it? I, I would say it was good. Good and shades of great. But overall, I feel really good about this season and I enjoyed it. It was probably probably the second, like I think the, the last season I've enjoyed more than this one was the first Oladipo year, uh, 2017-2018. I like the second Oladipo season team, you know, but it was like that was the year that Oladipo got injured and it really, you know, effed things up. Um, but anyways, the, the first year with Oladipo when he made All-NBA team, that, that, year, was, that year was awesome. And then um, this year, you know, I felt like was pretty, you know, had definitely was pretty awesome, but just not quite, because, you know, it's, it's like we're not in the playoffs. Um, but man, the first time that this team with, you know, the first time Tyrese takes the team to the playoffs, that's going to be sweet. That's going to be sweet. If that's next year, great. I'm ready for it. Um, ready to see this team, you know, unleashed. Um, so, but this past season, good to great, A minus. It was inter- it, it was an entertaining, fun team to root for. You know, we obviously have some really exciting young players with Tyrese and Benedict. Um, you know, looking to add one more this this offseason via the draft, which, um, you know, right now we're in seventh or eighth uh, position. We'll see after the lottery um, where we end up. But, uh, you know, you hope that you get a guy that you can say in that same top line sentence as Matherin and Halliburton in the draft. That's best case scenario. Um, even if you don't get a guy at that, of that level, it can still be a good draft. And I still think the Pacers could be good moving forward. As long as you get somebody who, you know, can definitely contribute at a high level and hopefully brings something to the table that, you know, fits the team moving forward, um, like long-term, maybe a defensive specialist, somebody with some size, I don't know, something like that. But, uh, but we definitely have Tyrese and, you know, I think Benedict kind of cooled off a little bit in, in, the, in the general public 
Um, and I, I kind of get it. Like his play, it was like it was really awesome how he was scoring to start the season. Uh, but there was, you know, there was there were some bad games in there. Um, and I'm not throwing shade at Benedict. I, I love Benedict. Um, it's just kind of like other guys were, were putting up better stats, you know, in the back half of the season. Um, but he's obviously someone that you can build with. That was my whole point. You got, we've got Tyrese, we've got Benedict, um, and then looking to add, add somebody through the draft, or maybe we get somebody through trade, maybe somebody who's already established, um, we'll just have to see. Can't wait to see what the roster looks like, uh, moving forward. But so that was, you know, basically my overall take of the season was just, um, it was a lot of fun. I think it was a good, um, a good start for Tyrese, obviously. Um, but I was looking back at like what I was thinking about this team before the season started. And um, I had three questions entering the season. So I just wanted to touch on these three questions. Question number one, how good is Tyrese going to be this year? Progression towards all-star slash all-NBA. And then how is the team culture? So like for my first question going into the season, that, this is the, the great part of the season that we had was the development of Tyrese Halliburton. He, you can check it off. Uh, yes, he hit all-star. He was in all NBA talk, you know, halfway through the season before he got injured and missed like 10 or 11 or 12 games. Um, the Pacers were a top six team halfway through the season. And Kyrie's, Kyrie's, Tyrese was insane. He, he was, he made everything so good. Um, such a fun team to watch when things were going right. Um, Kevin Pritchard had a press conference after the season and he was talking about, you know, like Tyrese on the court, you know, was a top five offensive player. When you look at these certain analytics that, that the team was looking at, you know, he's up, he's up there, the best players in the world. Um, and you look at his percentages, he shot 49% from the field, 40% from three and 87 from the free, uh, from the free throw line. Like he was super efficient. He was a really good fantasy player, except for he missed all that time down the, down the end. You know, um, I didn't have him unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. Um, actually, no, unfortunately, the my buddy who got Tyrese, he won the league even without Tyrese. So he would say, "Yes, I still, uh, I I'm still fortunate to have Tyrese." He was awesome. That's the point. He was awesome in fantasy. He was, you know, super efficient, one of the best guys in the league. And we didn't know that that was going to be the case going into the se this season. We hoped that that was going to be the case. And it was. And Tyrese was awesome. Gets the all-star bid, thankfully. So, um, and, you know, the second, the end of the, the past month, you know, has been, you know, he's missed a lot of games, maybe even all of them, except for like two. Um, but, I, you know, we remember we got to see what it was like when he was humming along. And uh, that's one of the things that, you know, he's 23 years old. That, this was his third season. Um, I think another thing that I've picked up just from listening to interviews um, is that everybody loves Tyrese and it feels like everyone is thriving. Like they, everybody calls Tyrese the leader. Um, 
he's got great culture. Like I was, I was listening to a broadcast and it was like, maybe, or maybe like a podcast, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah Johnson saying that he, uh, you know, this was like the, what was it exactly? Uh, basically just like, it's like a really fun environment for everybody, not just the players. It's like, it's a real um, good culture throughout the whole organization. And, um, you know, people say, I mean, a lot of that goes to Tyrese, credit to Tyrese. And so that's pretty sweet um, for us to have somebody like that in, in that position. He's 23 years old too. So it's like, we're just getting going. And, um, you know, Tyrese in his exit interviews, you know, he talked about his number one goal in the off season is going to be, you know, strength training and how he wasn't going to take any time off from strength training. Um, because, you know, his number one goal is to get stronger and to, uh, you know, help with durability. He doesn't want to miss this many, as this many games as he did this year. He only played in uh, 56 games to improve his defense. You know, that's, that's going to be a big thing. That's one thing that I thought was, um, uh, that was a good message going into the off season was the focus on the defense, like uh, Rick Carlisle and uh, Kevin Pritchard, you know, everybody was in agreement uh, in the front office tell, telling every player, like, you know, we have to get better on de- at defense. I think that's what they're looking to address. I mean, Kevin Pritchard said, like, in the draft or, or like via trade or free agency, bringing in, bring in some, some better defense and then also having all of our guys become better defenders organically. Um, and, and, you know, basically, where was I going with that? Uh, I don't know. I just lost my train of thought. I was talking about Tyrese. Um, you know, number one goal being strength training. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, like I said, he only played 56 games. Um, he wants to get better at, on the defensive end. That's what it was. It was the defensive end and then the whole team getting better on defense, but Tyrese individually getting better on defense with the strength, that's going to translate to him probably grabbing some more rebounds. He said he's going to focus on getting more rebounds. This year, I think he averaged like, it was, I think it was under four. Um, so I was just quick thinking ahead. Um, I expect to see, um, you know, Tyrese probably take another jump. I don't think he's done. This is just his third season. So, you know, his num- he took a big jump in his numbers this year, going from like 17 to n- this year being a 20 and 10 guy, um, being the face of the franchise, being, being the whole thing. Side note, face of the franchise. I just can't wait to see what happens with Benedict Matherin. I think Benedict still has the potential to elevate and, you know, co- hopefully coexist with uh, Tyrese Halliburton. But we may, we, we may not want to, like, make this all about Tyrese. That's, like, best-case scenario, because that means Benedict's, like, really freaking good, and we got the best backcourt in the NBA five years from now, or f- four years from now. That would be, that's best-case scenario. Um... But Tyrese next year, you know, I'm thinking maybe 22 points, 11 assists, and get those rebounds up to like five. 
and be real close to 50-40-90. He was up close this year. He had the uh, three-point percentage, but he was, I think he was 49, so he almost had the, the field goal, and then his free throws was maybe 87. Um, oh, yeah, I have it right in front of me here. But, yeah, 49, 40, and 87. Um, and then just continue to see his assist-to-turnover ratio improve and become – It'd be cool to see him like lead the league in that or something. I mentioned in uh, my last podcast about the assist to turnover ratio. I remember Tyrese being like number seven in the NBA because um, Nimhart was like tied for that or something like that. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, what are going to be the expectations for next year? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think. You know, and this is what Tyrese said: lead the team to the playoffs. That's going to be the goal. That's going to be the goal for next season as a team. So, <clears throat> to me, it sounds like they think they're going to be ready to go. Um, with the draft pick or whatever happens in this off season, they're going to be ready to rock into the playoffs. A top six team is what they said, um, or where you know where they want to be. And so that's that's the goal. <clears throat> you know. This, this team this year found who they were as a um, as an offense. It was a, it was a really good um, scoring team. Tyrese was the engine, and it was humming. And that's who we're going to be. You know, we're going to we're going to be a fast paced team. Tyrese said, as long as he's the starting point guard, like we're going to be moving the ball, or like we're going to be up and down the court, um, especially on offense, pushing the pace. And uh, yeah, so we've we've got that. That's a good thing that we've got we've got our, our offense. Um, we know how we want to play, and now it's on defense. It's getting better, and um, and seeing what kind of personnel we can also add to the add to this to help with the defense. Um, but yeah, it's just so it's so crazy to think about what this team could look like next year. Um, because we have all the, we have all the pieces to make moves. We've got the draft picks. We've, we've got some potential like trade, um, contracts like on our team. I don't know. It'll just be, it'll be very interesting. I thought one thing that stood out to me in the Kevin Pritchard exit interview was, uh, he said he was feeling itchy, (laughs) like he's ready to make some moves and get things, um, I guess, you know, get some things done. And uh, so that's exciting to think that, you know, this might be a big year for us as far as personnel moves. And then they may be starting to really settle into this core, which is, you know, Tyrese, Miles Turner, Benedict Matherin, and Andrew Nimhard. I think those four right now are tier one for the Pacers moving into next season. Um, and if we're going to be in the playoffs, there's probably a road where it's Buddy Heald, TJ McConnell, Aaron Neesmith coming off of our bench, adding depth. I could see all of those guys playing in the playoffs. And then, you know, that's seven guys right there. You're not really relying next year on... 
Ajax, Jalen Smith, Chris Duarte, if they if 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 somebody if one of those three guys earns the minutes and and um, I don't know, I guess you know hits and is and is and is is not gonna basically if if those one of those three guys or or all of them in, in fact they if they uh, if they if they come on then yeah great that's that's a bonus but I'm thinking I'm, I've kind of just moved on past the idea that any of Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith are going to be playing many minutes for us in the playoffs next year. I hope I'm wrong, but I just, to me, it's just kind of pretty clear. I see the team as like those four guys, Miles Tyrese, Benedict, and Nimhard is what the, the foundation is, and now we're going. And, you know, I could see Ajax or Jalen Smith or Chris Duarte being traded. I could see them being with the Pacers and, and end up having good careers. It's just those guys are wild cards. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see how this team looks moving into next season with the expectations of making it to the playoffs. Um, you know, back to Tyrese and, and the question about, you know, the team culture and his play, his play, check. Team culture, check. Um, in the exit interview, somebody asked, like, are, it seems like you and Benedict talking to Tyrese are polar opposites. And Halliburton's response was something along the lines of, like, he kind of laughed, I think, and then was like, yeah, we're like the yin and yang. Um, you know, he was explaining how, um, and this was earlier in his, his interview, I believe. It wasn't in relation to uh, Benedict, but he was talking about how he goes after relationship equity with his teammates, coaches, everybody he, he's, he's around in the organization and out in the community. Um, relationship equity. I thought that was very interesting um, because it was like Tyrese takes the time to get to know people and he's investing in people. And then that's helping those people invest in him. It's a mutual thing. And then he gets to like, he's creating a world that he wants to be in and what he wants to thrive in. It's, uh, it's really interesting to see everybody so positive. Um, and it's great. And uh, compare that to Benedict Matherin. And, uh, you know, he's just more internal. I would say, and uh, some interesting things. Well, okay, so one of, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like one of the big disappointments throughout the season, probably number one for me, was just not not getting to see on court chemistry between Matherin and Halliburton. Like I want to see those two like working together, and we just didn't. It's not that we didn't get anything. It's just that it wasn't. Um, it wasn't very often that, that those two were both humming at the same time on the court together from memory of the season. I just remember that that was disappointing to me. Um, but that being aside, with, with Matherin, um, one of the things that he brought up in his exit interview was that he felt at times there was like a boundary between himself and the teammate and his teammates. Um, 
and I thought that was interesting because I, I remember thinking like, is, you know, is Mathern, is he, fun, is he a good teammate? Is he fun to be around? Because there were just some things that you could pick up on where it just seemed a little like, you know, maybe as a teammate, maybe that would be frustrating for you. Um, it, it also came out that uh, Matherin, you know, wasn't, he said something about like, he didn't really participate in the rookie hazing activities. Like, I don't, it, I don't think he said like what they were trying to get him to do or anything. Um, but, I could, you know, he's just like, no, I'm not going to do it. And it's kind of like, okay, that's fine by me. Um, and I'm not saying it like bothered the teammates or anything, but it's, that's just the kind of guy he is, it, you know, based off of what he said. Um, and it is polar opposite from Tyrese. Like, just the two different approaches, uh, I guess, to the, to the game and, I don't know, maybe to, like, life. And, and not that one's good and one's bad. It's just the, the difference. Um, but anyways, Matherin said there was, he, he felt a boundary between himself and his teammates at points. Um, I thought it was interesting. He said that James Johnson was the biggest blessing of the season because he, you know, he said it because he tells me the truth. So you can just imagine, like, James Johnson, you know, he's been in the NBA for 14 years, I believe. This was his. And, you know, just talking to Benedict, being able to – it's not I, – I don't think – to me, it does – I'm not trying to make it sound like I think Matherin was some sort of, like, deterrent in the locker room and nobody wanted to be around him or anything. I just think – I was just commenting on, like, his um, persona in a way. But, uh, yeah, I just thought that was – that was interesting that, you know, he, he, how he mentioned James Johnson could, because he told him the truth. Um, but so that leads me to uh, question number two, which is at the end of the season, does Benedict still have foundational piece potential um, as like an all-star caliber wing score? Is that still, is the best case scenario still intact? is what I was looking at. And um, I would say, you know, after we've seen his rookie season, yes. Again, this is, you know, Tyrese was, Tyrese was great. He answered question one at like an A plus besides missing all the games. Um, Benedict, I would say, answered it with like an A to A minus. Um, to the question of does he still have foundational piece potential? I think he does. Um, and I do think he still has the potential to be an all-star one day. Um, for sure, he showed that he can create points off the dribble, offensively. His game, um, you know, it, it, he, he gets it done. He averaged 16 points, four rebounds, one and a half assists on... 43% from the field, 32% from three, and 83% from the free throw line. So, yeah, almost, basically nearly 17 a night on 28 minutes. Only putting up, I shouldn't say only, but he's putting up 12 field goal attempts a game, which was third on the team. Tyrese and Buddy were ahead of him. He leads the team in free throws. He was like a top 20 NBA guy at getting to the free throw line. He finished the season... 
at 5.8, so just, just a nick under six for getting to the free throw line, which is, you know, that's just awesome as a rookie to, who's not getting, he's not getting a beneficial whistle. I'm not saying, it's not that he's not getting a fair whistle, it's just he's not getting superstar calls or even like veteran type calls. He's just, it's like, yeah, we're okay. I know there was contact, but you forced it, so we're moving on. Uh, but that was him as a rookie. So um, one thing about his, his scoring, I looked it up. I was curious. Tw- so 25 points, that was, the thre- that was the threshold that I used because I just felt like 25 points was that. That's a good, that's a good scoring night. And also, that was the number that I had as a goal for Matherin to average is 25 a night alongside Tyrese averaging like 22. Um, so Matherin scored, the, scored 25, or 25 points or more 11 times this season. So 11 nights, he came out there and was like one of the best players on the court and foundational piece player. So 11 nights put up 25 or, 25 or more. Um, and then, the you know, so for sure... Matherin can score, and for sure, he has the confidence to be the best player in the NBA. And the, he has the drive to get there, I believe. Not I'm not saying he's going to be the best player in the NBA, but he has the confidence and he has the drive to pursue it. Um, and that was something he said at the, at the exit interview, too, was he said something along the lines of, like, the season, you know, was, didn't meet his expectations, but that was good because now it's almost like he can deal with it and be ready to go next season. And it was, it was great to see him start the last 10. Um, what was that? Last 10 or so games, you know, he started and... I remember in one of the, pre, I think it was a, pre, or a postseason or postgame interview, he said, he said he's getting used to doing what he's going to be doing the rest of his career in terms of starting. And I think that it's been established that Matherin is now a starter. And... Um, he was ready. And, and I think I think those we got to see him as a starter, and for the most part, he looked pretty good. And I felt like he was really given given a lot more effort on the defensive end, and taking on better assignments. Like I remember watching him take on Jaden Ivey uh, in the Detroit game, and nothing really like jumps out to me except for he had a really nice chase down block, which I don't think counted. Um, but like Matherin was really giving an effort out there and like staying in front of Jaden. And there were just, you, I just felt like we got to see that more. He showed that off, the effort on the defensive end. And he also at this, at, around that same time started talking about how, you know, he's a, he wants to be a, a two, he's a two-way player. He wants to be the best two-way player on this team. And, and you know, um, what was I going to say there? Basically, 
Matherin is focused now, I think, I think he understands probably what the organization was telling him from the start. And it sounds like, you know, Rick Carlisle was, he didn't start him. I was, I was under the, I, I was definitely, I, I guess I would be like yelling like, oh, I want to see Matt, like Matherin should be starting. What is going on? Um, but he didn't. And I see, I see like, okay, that was probably a good thing for Rick Carlisle to do and for Benedict to respond to the way that he did. You know, he, he we never heard that he was upset about being in, like about coming off the bench ever. He was, he always said, you know, he, he was gonna, it was, it was like, that was okay. That was where he needed to be at that point. But then now that he started the last 10 games and, and I think it's like, he's been inserted there and I think it's his to lose at this point. Um, and that makes it interesting going into next year, like what happens between Nimhard and Buddy Heald and Aaron Neesmith. Um, that'd be crazy. Like uh, Miles, Neesmith, Matherin, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton lineup. That'd be very small. I guess Matherin would be like your four. Buddy three, Nimhard two, something like that. Anyways, that, that we could have seen that lineup this year. That would have been cool. Um, but yeah, Matherin, you know, he he was a lot was demanded of him. He had to play both both ends, um, and he would get pulled from games. You know, Rick Carlisle he'll call timeouts to or you know sub Ben out real quick to get in his ear a little bit about something. And he expects ben Benedict Matherin to be a two-way player. And Matherin, I've, he, he, I think he gets it now after year one. And I think he's taking it and he's training with that now in this offseason. And he's going to come back as a starter, year two in the league. I think, I think he's going to be ready to go. I think we're going to see... Uh, a, a good jump. If I if I just had to like throw a dart at year two right now from Matherin, I see a jump from like he's so he's just under seventeen now. What what if he could average twenty one next year with five rebounds and get those double those assists, get three assists, and then bump those percentages up a little bit and put him at forty five from the field, thirty five from the three point line and 85 from the free throw line. So I think he was like two to 3% off of each of those percentages this year. And then statistically, another big jump I wanna see is this year, his stock stat, which is like steals and blocks added together, um, was 0.8. So not even half a steal or half a block a game for Mather. And next year, I think we can see it. I think we will see it stock number out of 1.5 so basically double double what he did this season as far as getting steals and blocks but one he's, he should be out on the court a little bit longer and two we're gonna have a whole season of him locked in on defense giving it his all going against the best guys so i think i think we could see that happen for him and then with the assist numbers go up just keep the turnovers you know 
don't get worse at turnovers by getting a couple more assists. Um, make that assist to turnover ratio go to one, whereas now he, he's at a .8, meaning that he's turning the ball over more than he's making assists. So let's get that evened out next season. And be 21, five and three. Um, man, we would be cooking with fire next year if that is the case. Um, maybe, maybe Matherin becomes a defensive stud. He says he wants to be the, the, two, the best two-way player. You know, what if he does do that? Um, you can see where it's like, oh, he can get better at the things that he's not good at right now. And it seems like he has the internal drive, the support, and the skills and athleticism and youth to make it happen, to make the changes, to improve in the areas that he needs to improve. And his, the results will, will follow his work ethic, hopefully. Um, and so I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about Mathern being awesome on the defensive end. And then a player that came to mind, I was like, oh, he's kind of like, maybe what if his trajectory is like Jimmy Butler like he's not quite as big as Jimmy he's not going to be quite as physically imposing as Jimmy can be but from like a guard position and just the way the NBA is being played now and stuff like maybe Matherin kind of has similar game to Jimmy um, hopefully a better three-point shooter but just the toughness and and the belief that he's the best player that's a, to me, that seems like a maybe that could be kind of a trajectory that Matherin could be on. Maybe a better scoring Jimmy Butler, but it's going to have a little less size. Um, anyways, what happens if he does become a stud? Uh, you know, maybe he won't, maybe he will. But with Benedict Matherin, after year one, my position is this. I'm double, I'm double downing, <laughs> I'm doubling down on my mather and hope of what he could be. Maybe it is, like I just mentioned, a Jimmy Butler level player. That would be great. I think he could even be better. Um, but somebody like an all-star, I'm, I'm, I believe in Benedict Matherin. I'm banking on his own belief of himself and his belief that he's going to be or is already just maybe not discovered yet best player in in the league he's got skill athleticism strength and size he's got things that not everybody gets um and he's 20 years old and there's a lot that he can improve on and i think i think he's gonna i think we're gonna start i think he's gonna be he's gonna move right on up um those rookie rankings after next season or during next season. It's gonna be like, oh yeah, the guy that we thought was the second best player in that rookie class actually was the second best player. And maybe the race picks up again between, or the debate at that point between Paolo and Matherin for number one. And then you also got to throw in Chet who missed last season. He's going to be playing. So, um, Anything else on Matherin? Basically, I'm all in on him. I think, you know, 
what he can improve on is what Tyrese mentioned and I mentioned earlier about equity in, in relationships with other people, just teammate equity. And he and Mather mentioned that in his uh, exit interview was he said like the last two or three weeks, you know, he had felt maybe more connected with his teammates. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a really positive sign going into the offseason and into next year. And then I guess that's one thing that he could hopefully just continue to improve on is building relationships with his teammates. And also I think just having that, um, having him, like having him reflect that out on the basketball court would be a good thing for this team. If, if Matherin goes from averaging one and a half assists to averaging like five assists, it's like, oh, damn. Okay. This guy, you know what I mean? Like if he, if he starts get it, starting to, starts to get it, now maybe he never does that um, to that level. Uh, but I just think like, man, best case scenario, I could see him doing that. Um, and then also, you know, moving into like next season though, more, more tangible is he, and, and Mather mentioned this too, he wants to be more consistent. So like he had 11 games of 25, Matherin's thinking I need to have 82 games of 25, but realistically, maybe we get uh, 25, 30 games where he puts up over 25. He doubles it next season. Um, and him and Tyrese are both playing a lot together and Tyrese is scoring his, you know, his 20 plus a night. Um, and they start looking like really, really good offenses. One of the really, really good offenses in the league. Um, that could be the case. It's three point shooting. That's another thing he could improve on. I think next season, he, he, every shot he takes looks good. I, I've never been like, oh man. Well, I shouldn't say some of the stuff he like when he's driving and it gets in the paint, he gets caught, you know, a little more than you'd hope for. But um, his when he's I've never he's never taken a three pointer that I don't like. So it looks to me it looks good. It just didn't it just didn't drop. Um, and maybe maybe confidence in it wavered a bit or you know I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But I think he's a better three point shooter than what. Um, how he shot this this season. So I think we'll see some improvement in the three-point percentage. And that just makes him, you know, one, he's going to be scoring that much that many more points. And two, you got you to really get up out on him, and, and he's pretty good at beating guys off the dribble. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my feelings on Matherin at the moment and, and his first his first season with us. I'm doubling down. Let's go. I, you know, I said it, you know, at the top, I'm really glad that Halliburton's the franchise, but there's a part of me that wants, wants Matherin to make a run at it. And if he does, we got two all NBA players. So that's why I hope for that. That's just, that would be insane. All right, question number three I had coming into the season. Any other potential all-star on roster? Most likely not. 
And the context being, I thought Tyrese Halliburton might make the all-star team. I mentioned Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, and Chris Duarte at the beginning of the season. And I believe I thought that Jalen Smith of the three had the best chance at making an all-star team. Um, not saying that they were going to, but of, of the roster. And I should, I was, better guesses would have been, you know, Miles Turner, Andrew Nimhard, Benedict Matherin. Um, you know, that doesn't sound right. That, I don't think I'm getting that right. I don't think I believe, I don't think I ever believed that Isaiah Jackson, Duarte, and Smith were going to be all-stars over Matherin and Miles. Um, sorry, folks. I think, I, I think I've uh, messed up my notes here. But the whole point of the question was, are there any other all-stars on this roster? I think now you would say Matherin has a chance to be an all-star. Miles Turner has a chance. If the Pacers pop off, they go on like a 50 win fifty like win pace at, at next week's, or not next week, next year's All-Star game, they're on pace to win 50 games or so, and they're, you know, fifth or fourth in the East. Tyrese is an All-Star. You're, you're, you're thinking Tyrese is an All-Star. Somebody else is probably going to be an All-Star for the Pacers, potentially if they have a good season. Turner, maybe. There's a world where Turner's an All-Star. If he, if he takes another jump this year, I could see it. Um, certainly, like I mentioned, I could see Matherin making an all-star team. Probably not next season, but you never know. And then uh, Andrew Nimhard, that's a long shot, but potentially. He's, he's potential. Um, so, speaking of and- Andrew Nimhard, you know, my whole last episode was, you know, Andrew Nimhard love and, uh, Quiet Grit is how I put it to describe Andrew Nimhard. And I was thinking about how good he is as a rookie, how good Matherin has been as a rookie. And if you were going to redraft last year, this is the way I see, this is the way I see the rookie class of rookie of rookies. At number one, Paolo Bancaro. He would still go number one next year. He's the best prospect of all these of this whole class at this point then this second tier i have i have i've called highest upside which are guys that maybe didn't have as good of seasons as some of these other players but there's still a thesis out there for each one of them to be all-star level player potentially first or second or, you know, best player on a championship contending team, like, like stud type players. And that's why I think they would go, they would get drafted in this order, of, or not, not specifically this order, but in this class, I've got Jalen Williams from Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder. He's definitely, he's definitely going to be a problem. Um, nice, real nice player. Would love to have Jalen Williams. Um, I've got our guy, Benedict Matherin. You know, he's got high upside potential. I put in Jaden Ivey in this, in this class of player. And then I didn't watch this guy, but just from some of the podcasts that I, that I listened to, 
And um, some of the games that I just saw box scores, Shaden Sharp put up, you know, Shaden Sharp, I would say, is probably in this highest upside category as well. And then you got to factor in Chet, who missed all of this first season, but he'll be back next season. So you got Paolo, Jalen Williams, Matherin, Ivy, Sharp, and Chet. That's one, two, three, four, five. That's the top six. Then I've got a class of four players that are going to round out the top ten that I think um, maybe the top two. Okay, so I've got Keegan Murray, Jabari Smith Jr., Walker Kessler, and Andrew Nimhard. I've got Nimhard in this class of rookie. And then right below them, I have A.J. Griffin, Jalen Duran, Tari Eason, and Jeremy Sohan. That rounds out the lottery. It's a pretty good draft. I mean, I think, I think all the teams are probably pretty excited about those players that they have. Um, but yeah, I still put, I'd still put Matherin up in, the, in that top tier. And I think Nimhard is pretty equal with like, you know, like I mentioned, this is a homer pick, but potential, potential um, that I think, I think Nimhard belongs with Kessler and Jabari and, and, and Keegan Murray. So I think that's great, man. It's great for, it's great for us that, that I think <laughs> our players are this good. <laughs> it's great for me that I believe this about our players and our team. Um, you know, here on Andrew Nimhard. This offseason, in his exit interview, he said he wants to improve his catch-and-shoot threes. Chase the 50-40-90 club. This, this past year, he was 44, 35, 79. So he's got a ways to go, but that's why he said chase it. That's a good goal. That's a really good goal. Not a lot of people get to it, but it's better to be closer to it than further away. And improve his catch-and-shoot threes. I think that's really interesting. I just, I'm just buying into this world where Nimhard and Matherin and Halliburton are all starting next season. I think Buddy gets moved to the bench. Um, sidebar here on Buddy. Kevin Pritchard was mentioned that somebody brought up Buddy's contract extension um, if he was going to do that. And he basically said, you know, we got to figure out, we got to make sure we're on the same page, Buddy and the Pacers, of what his role is going to be. And I wonder if that's going to also affect how much money they're willing to offer him. I think Buddy's 30 years old. You know, even if you're thinking of like a three-year extension or a three-year contract, um, he's, you're looking at like him being 34 at the end of it. I think Buddy's still going to be a pretty solid player at that point. Um, but you don't, I mean, not a $20 million player on a championship contender team, I don't think. Um, like, what would I be willing to do? Maybe like a three-year, $45 million. So give him $15 million a year, which is actually a pay cut. He's at, he's making, 
he made 20 this year, I think, and he's making 19 next season. So then to sign a contract only worth 15 after setting the franchise record in three-pointers. Buddy is, he's just an insane three-point shooter. Reggie Miller held the franchise record, and granted, you know, we put up way more threes now, but Reggie held the, held the record up to this season at 229 made three-pointers in a season, and Buddy had 288. So he beat the record by, you know, 50 to 60 three-pointers. And uh, he was phenomenal. One of the interesting stats, I think Denary, Chris Denary brought this up on his, or during the broadcast, was that Buddy Heald has had 26 games this season where he's hit five or more three-pointers. That's fabulous. That, you take that all day long. So it's really hard to take a position on Buddy Heald where it's like less Buddy. But this is probably one of those instances where it's like, but what's really best, what, what makes our ceiling higher? And I think you've got to say Buddy coming off the bench makes a lot of sense. And everybody loves Buddy. You know, people talk like Tyrese obviously loves Buddy. Hopefully they can reach. I just don't want to, you know, it's like I, I can see if, if, if Buddy's like, yes, I want to make the playoffs with the Pacers. I want to win a championship with the Pacers. Give me this extension. Let me finish my, like, not, maybe not finish my career, but let's, let's make this three or four year run here. Let me play the six man role. Let me come off the bench and torch people. Um, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> That's best case scenario. And then also taking, you know, making sure that we can still make other moves and bring other guys in. Don't hurt us. We're not, we're not investing in Buddy like a, like a starter level player. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, I went from Nimhard off on a tangent. But basically, to sum up Andrew Nimhard's season, it was, it was great. He had a great season from, from okay, a second-round draft pick, third-string backup point guard, to starting whatever he started, 60 games or 70 games this season. Um, and to me, it feels like a starter moving forward just because of all the, all the things that he does, all, all that he brings to, the, brings to the table out there on the court. He's just a glue guy. He just does, he fills in a lot of gaps for you, takes on tough defensive assignments and does well. And that was a rookie season. So it's like, he's part of this core. He, and Ty, Benedict, Tyree, or uh, Nimhard and Miles, I would say really like, not to, I think Benedict, Tyrese, Andrew Nimhard, and Miles right now. And Miles is up there because he had a fin he had another great season. This Miles was um, one of the best stories of the season was the production that he had while he was out there. Um, averaged 18 points a 18 points a game, which was over his he averaged 12 the last three seasons. 12 points a game. So jumped up six points a game to 18. Um, 
he put up almost 12 shots a game, which was fourth for like he was the he put up the fourth most shots on the team. So Tyrese, Buddy, and Benedict were right right above him. And he got to the free throw line four and a half times a game, which was a career high. He shot 37% from the three-point line. Um, percentages on the year, 55 from the field, 37 from the three-point line, and 78 from the free throw line. You take you take that all year, take it the take take me, just give me that again next year. But I I actually expect Miles to get even better, develop more chemistry with Tyrese. Um, yeah, I, I don't see, I don't think Miles is done. I think Miles still has a lot to prove and he's excited and motivated. Uh, I was in one of the press conferences at the end of the season during, might've been the uh, Knicks game, whichever one Miles Turner came on, he mentioned that him and Tyrese are like a really good one-two punch. And I'm down with that. I do hope that Matherin has something else to say about that next season. And, you know, I want to see, you know, both Benedict and Miles average 12 field goal attempts a game this season, essentially. Like, I'm okay if Miles averages a little bit more, like 13, 14 a night. But I want Benedict to move from 12 to, you know, at least 15, if not 17, 18 shots a night. And then you got Ty, who averaged 15 this year. Move him up to 16, 17. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it, how it plays out. But Miles is, Miles is poised for a big season next year. He said he's not done getting better. Him and Tyrese are the one-two punch. And I'm ready for it. Bring it on. Miles Turner, great season. And he, he fits the team great. He's a great center for this team. And um, I'm, I'm happy for about it. TJ McConnell, he had, a, he had a, uh, according to Kevin Pitchard, he had a career year. You know, I would agree with that. He had a really good backup point. Like, you think of TJ, you think of a really good backup point guard. You think about all the intangibles that he brings to the court. He's one of those guys that doesn't have to score the ball, but he's going to give you rebounds. He's going to give you assists. He's going to give you steals. Um, and he's also just a, like an A-plus on the culture of a team and the, the right way. Not that everybody has to do it the way that TJ McConnell does, but it sounds like the way to like be a professional um, in the effort that you bring to everything that you do as an NBA player. Like, seems like it's like, oh, we got Rudy on the team, man. You gotta do it. This guy's out here busting his ass. Now, um, well, McConnell is just great. He averaged, so his minutes took a dip, but so 20 minutes a night, but his production, it felt like it didn't really miss a beat. He averaged nine points, five assists, three rebounds and a steal in 20 minutes a night on shooting splits of 55, 44, and 85. TJ McConnell was five free throw percentages, five free throw point percentages away from being a 50, 40, 90 guy. And he crushed the 55 and the 40, or the 50 and the 40. Um, just 
really amazing, honestly, that he was able to do that this season. And he shot more threes than he ever has. Now, it's still not a huge sample size. It's not like he's knocking down two threes a night. But when he's shooting them, he's making them. And that's all you want from him. Like, that's, that, is a, that in and of itself is stop and celebrate. You won one. You know, it's like McConnell shot 44% from the three-point line. And he didn't back away from him. He didn't turn him down. So that just makes that just makes him such a better like if 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 and if guys act and, and I don't think he even really sees it yet where they they're still he's still getting a lot of wide open threes. It's not like they're treating him like a shooter. But even the fact that they come out a little bit, it just opens things up for everybody. Makes TJ that much stronger of a second backup point guard, point guard period, really. But for our team next year, I'm thinking like backup point guard. And, you know, really running the unit. I'd love to see, I mean, it'd be fun. TJ and Buddy, if they work out, you know, some chemistry and they really kind of take control of a second unit, um, we're probably going to have a young guy. I don't know. It, that'll just be so interesting to see how the, what the roster looks like going into next season, how these veterans fit in, you know, McConnell and Buddy Heald specifically. Um, but, yeah. TJ was great. He had a, he had a great season. He, you know, he probably even cost us a couple games down the stretch, making the Pacers win because he's just like out hustling everybody. You're like, ah, oh, TJ. I mean, thank you, but damn it. Like I remember one time, I forget what game it was, but like he he was like the Pacers came roaring back, and he was like the you know the fire behind it. And I think maybe they took a lead, and maybe the game it was like they were going to lose the game. TJ was a big part of them coming back and they ended up winning the game. And like, there's a timeout or something. And after TJ made a great play and he like pumps up the crowd, I was just like, Oh no, <laughs> like we're so close to losing this game because we're like there for a minute, you know, during the last two weeks of the season, it looked like the Pacers might end up with a fifth pick because Orlando was winning games. Portland hadn't fallen quite as far as they ended up going. Um, so I'm, at the end, I was really rooting for the, lo- the losses there on the Pacers. I enjoyed the wins, but was rooting for the losses. And TJ was just too damn good down the stretch. He, he, I, think he, I think he won a game or two for the Pacers. And, you know, good, maybe that'll just be good karma for us going into the draft. Uh, you know, we'll just, we'll just see what happens. But TJ was great. I, I hope to see TJ back, but I'm open to anything outside of Tyrese, Benedict, and Nimhard at this point. I, I, uh, that doesn't mean I don't prefer to keep them, but it's like, what are we getting in return? That, that would then becomes the question. But uh, that's how she goes. But I think there's a role for TJ McConnell. And I think going into next season, there's probably going to be a role for Aaron Neesmith as well, who was not quite as... Um, like I would rank, I would rank the rise of Nimhard above the rise of Neesmith, but Neesmith definitely rose this year, and if nothing else, looks like a guy that you could play in that seven, eight, nine, potentially like playoff type guy, rotational guy, really help you a lot in the regular season, add in depth. He he started a bunch of games this year, sixty I believe, um, yeah. He averaged, started 60 games and averaged 25 a night, or not points, but minutes, <laughs> at 
average 25 minutes a night. With Neesmith, you know, you're getting a, he's an above average, versatile defender. He can check a lot of fours, threes, twos. Um, he can probably even stay in front of some ones. He's, he might be, he might be our best on-ball defender. I don't know, maybe between him and, and Nimhard. And hopefully if we have that same, if that same question comes up next year, we throw Matherin in there as best on-ball defender. Matherin thinks he's the best on-ball defender on the team. I, I do remember he said that in one of the exit interviews um, or post-game interviews. But, uh, you know, back to Neesmith, he's a streaky three-point shooter. It, it's, it, it feels good when he shoots for the most part. Um, you want him to be, you want him to shoot as much as he did. I, I never felt like, I felt like he had a good balance of being aggressive, but not forcing. And he is a tough player. He cares. Um, he seems like a great teammate just from like picking guys up, having guys back. Um, you know, he just, Aaron Neesmith seems solid, man. He seems like a, he seems like he's going to get another NBA contract for sure. Um, what could that be for the Pacers? I, I, it's like, would you, here's a good question. Who would you rather pay more, Neesmith or Buddy Heald for the next three years? That, I don't know, maybe that's a no-brainer to some people, but I'm really thinking about that, and I don't know. I, especially, if, I mean, if we're talking like in that $15 million a year range, salaries being equal, I think I might take Neesmith. Who knows though? What, but I'm curious what, what his role looks like. Does he hold on to the starting position? And that seems like a far stretch, but who knows? I don't know what, what kind of moves they make, um, but what does he look like next year? And how does he end up, what role does he end up playing on this team moving forward? Is it is he gone? Is he uh, on the team? If he's on the team, is he contributing? In what ways is he contributing? And in what manner? I see him on a title contender at this point, barring he takes a big jump. Like, like I said, seven, eight, nine man on your team, on your depth chart. Doesn't mean he doesn't start in any games. Um, I like me Smith. I like him a lot. He's he's been him and, and Nimhard to me were huge surprises for me, um, and their success was at the demise of Ajax and Duarte. Not necessarily the demise, but they just they got the minutes. They got they got the priority on the on the uh, rotation. Um, so kudos to Neesmith. Great season. Um, yeah, real happy about that. You know, we got the first round pick. And then we moved off of Brogdon to get Neesmith. And we also got Tice in that trade. I don't know. I mean, Brogdon is prob probably the better. He's the better player right now if you're contending for a championship. But he wasn't, he didn't fit our team. And Neesmith was a good, not even really a gamble, but just, you know, I guess it was a gamble kind of. You're like, well, maybe we'll see. We'll see what he did. He averaged like four points a game for the Celtics. He got 10 this first season with the Pacers in 25 minutes a night, he got 10 points, but he, he does a lot of other things. He's kind of a, he's kind of a glue guy as well. He's pretty versatile on, you know, being two way guy, 
he's another guy that he was, from what I heard, he was really good at three, like a really, really good three-point shooter in college. Now, obviously the NBA is a deeper shot, but I don't have his numbers in front of me as to what his percentage was, but it didn't seem great, but not awful. He's probably like 35, 34, if I had to guess. Um, okay, moving on. Another good thing that happened this year, in addition to the roster, I think was Jordan, Jordan Wara trade. Getting him, uh, rest in peace to Goga Bataze and Terry Taylor. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to see Jordan Wara. He, he, I think he has a better chance of adding something to this team than Goga or TT did, unfortunately. Um, so I'm happy that we're, hope, I mean, if he gets moved, I'm not going to be heartbroken, but it's like at the same time, hope, I'm happy to see him here one more year at least and, uh, you know, see where he can end up. Because if you're just looking at that second unit, if you got McConnell and Buddy, this is just a hypothetical here. McConnell, Buddy, Neesmith, Wara, Ijax, <laughs> or Jalen Smith, or the 26th pick of the draft, or, you know, the 29th pick of the draft. And then it's, yeah, I don't know, we'll just see. But, but um, I like Wara. I, 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 he, you know, he can, he can put it in the basket, and he's a good three-point shooter. He might fit nicely with, you know, back there with Buddy, spacing the floor for the second unit. Um, okay, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, I'm going to put here because it's like, it was a disappointing season for both of these guys because when I just went through the second unit, it's like, I still didn't feel good putting either one of them there. And it's like, are they, are they actually like the same level of player? And... Like, why hasn't one of them, like, outplayed the other one quite yet? Now, it's not been a lot of playing time, but I don't know. It's just tough. They, neither one of them really gave you much to, to get excited about moving forward. There's just, there's just kind of some red... I guess you do call it red flags, and it doesn't mean you can't have a career in the NBA with red flags, but, like, I don't know. Isaiah Jackson, at this point, it feels like his understanding of where he needs to be, um, staying out of foul trouble, like understanding situational type things. I don't know. I, he's young, right? So this is just from right now. To me, it's like when I'm watching the game, he might do something. I'm like, oh, man, that's a red flag. Like, that sucks. That hurts. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not – I guess the point being – I wanted a lot more out of Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith this year. I thought, you know, oh man, maybe both of these guys are potential starters, expectation-wise, to, you know, the season that we had. And the, they, they swapped minutes um, down the stretch there. Miles sat a real good chunk of the time. But when everybody was healthy and we were trying to win games, um, I don't recall either one of those guys playing that big of a role. And that's where you can throw, you know, you got to throw Duarte in there as well. Just all three, just disappointing second seasons. But 
they're all, I'm not giving up on any one of them. And I could definitely see a scenario where Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, and Chris Duarte are higher on the depth chart than, you know, Rora, Neesmith, and McConnell. I don't think it's going to happen next year, but that would be, that's a potential thing that could happen. Um, so I don't know. It's just a, it's, it's a toss-up for me between Ajax and Sticks. And I'm thinking maybe it's neither, unfortunately. Long-term is what I'm getting at. Not, not for next season, but just like they haven't, they haven't shown enough yet. Doesn't mean they won't show it or can't show it. It's just like it hasn't quite translated onto the, into game where it's like I trust this person as my backup big in the NBA playoffs. Like we're not there with those two guys yet, in my opinion. Um, but, we're, you know, we're not there collectively either. So it's not like I'm penalizing them. It's just like, ooh, I would feel more comfortable if we had a little bit more established backup bigs going on with our roster moving into the playoffs. But we'll see. Um, we've got next year's draft where we can add to our roster, which is, <clears throat> if you're looking at this season, it's like, good. It was a good draft pick. I mean, we'll see what the lottery holds for us. That's ultimately when you can judge, you know, where you fall as like your selection order in the draft. But if we just finish where we're projected now and say eighth, it's like, uh, it's a good pick. It's better than the 12th pick. It's a lot better than the 12th pick, but it's not the fifth pick or the sixth pick. It's like, it, it, they re- like once you get out of like the top two or three, it's like every pick, it's like, oh man, you really feel the distance from that top, top talent that's in every draft. Um, so right now we're seventh or eighth, depending on a coin flip between us and the Wizards. So let's just, you know, if we end up seventh or eighth, it's like, hey, maybe you don't get, a, maybe you don't get somebody that has as much upside potential as like a Benedict Matherin and that you trust in. Um, But you're looking for somebody that fits the culture, which the Pacers talk about this as, you know, loving basketball. They love having gym rats. And it sounds like the whole team is just gym rats. Um, You know, the team really, it's a culture of working to improve every single day. So when you're, Obviously, like when they're drafting, they're looking for guys that fit that mold and are going to fit the culture of this team. So drafting, say, eighth, um, who can you get that fits? And I mean, you could, you could, it could, you could, there's still, there's a lot of talent that falls to eight a lot of years. And so you could still hit with it. Um, but we'll just have to have to see where we go. But I'm excited. Um to add another player, top level player from the draft and be excited about another young guy for at least a year, even if it's a bust, which that would be the worst case scenario. But like, you know, when rookies are just so, um, 
it's like intoxicating what they could be. We saw it. I mean, if you were like a huge Andrew Nimhard fan going into this season, <laughs> you got to feel so good. If you were like calling it like this guy's going to be second team all rookie, it'd be like, what? <laughs> but it happens. Guys do it. And, that, and then guys that get drafted in the top five, they don't make an all NBA team or all rookie team or you know what I mean? Like it's crazy. That's what's fun about the draft. And, and the Pacers get to have another crack at a top guy uh, as long as things, as long as we don't fall too far back. Um, we have a six or 7% chance at making that number one spot, uh, which would be absolutely insane if we could add Victor Wimbenyama to, Victor Wimbenyama to the mix of Pacer players. That would be so fun. My God. I can't even imagine if Victor came to the Pacers. I haven't even thought about that. I haven't even let myself entertain the idea, but I am right now. <sighs> Him and Tyrese. I don't know, man, that would be nice. That would be nice. So we've got a six or 7% chance of that happening. Um, and that date is May 16th. So almost less than a month from tonight, the Pacers have a six or 7% chance at getting Victor Wimbenyama and uh, get the number one spot. So lottery May 16th, draft June 22nd. I will um, be sure to, uh, you know, I'll be getting into it. I'm excited to start looking at the draft. Really excited about lottery. See, see where we end up. Um, start looking at guys. When I've looked at guys so far, like my criteria is I can't help but look for somebody who's 6'8", 6'9", and or really good wingspan, like seven foot plus wingspan. Um, so there's quite a few guys that I wrote down that I want to look at um, more. Now that the, well, the NBA playoffs are going on, but it's like the Pacer season is done. And this is now the next thing that we get to look forward to is the draft. So, uh, yep, I'm excited about that. That is, uh, that's where I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for checking out the pod. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And I will uh, talk to you all later. Peace and love.